Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing, episode 543. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 880 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, returning for 2022, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgirlflowers.com. Thanks also to Details Flowers Software, a platform specifically designed to help florists and designers do more and earn more. With an elegant and easy-to-use system, Details improves profitability, productivity, and organization for floral businesses of all shapes and sizes. Grow your bottom line through professional proposals and confident pricing with Details all in one platform. All friends of the Slow Flowers podcast will receive a seven-day free trial of Details Flowers software. Learn more at detailsflowers.com. Before we start today, don't forget to listen for details about the 2022 Northwest Flower and Garden Show ticket giveaway. You'll hear all about how to win one of five sets of two tickets to attend the show, which starts one week from today on February 9th and continues through February 13th in Seattle. I'll share the giveaway rules at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. Some of you may have heard a few weeks ago that we released the 2022 Slow Flowers Floral Insights and Industry Forecast. Our first of nine insights was called Now or Never, an acknowledgement that many in our community are making changes for the better. We've been inspired by floral entrepreneurs who are flipping the script, changing their established or safe models to fit a reimagined lifestyle. And today's guest, Jennifer Couvant, along with her partner Hans Lee of Six Duchess Farm, are part of that shift. Based in the Hudson Valley, Six Duchess Farm is a first-generation small family farm located about 70 miles north of New York City. Their 12-acre farm grows fresh, seasonal cut flowers, specialty berries, and herbs, and raises flocks of beloved animals, including heritage hens and Swedish Gotland sheep. As Jennifer explains, we approach farming from a place of deep connection to the land, the animals, and our community. She continues, through a pasture-based regenerative model, we are cultivating a future where small, diversified farming is an essential part of environmental sustainability and healthy, thriving communities. Six Duchess is committed to maintaining a vibrant, biodiverse, cruelty, and chemical-free environment, one where animals can graze on pasture as nature intended, and where humans can gain a deeper respect for the land on which they live, for the flowers and food they grow, and the living beings that sustain them through the seasons. 
Visit slowflowerspodcast.com to see photos and find links to all of Six Duchess Farm's social places. And you can find that at episode 543. Let's jump right in and get started. Well, hello, everyone. I'm so happy to welcome you to the Slow Flower Show with Deborah Prinzing. And today I have such a special guest. I'm delighted to introduce Jennifer Couvant of Six Duchess Farm. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Deborah. So wonderful to be here today. Oh, it, it, it's just great seeing you in your cozy corner there. And, and you're coming to us from uh, Hudson Valley. And um, I you know, you've been a member of Slow Flowers for uh, a little over a year, I think. And I, I subscribed immediately to your newsletter when you joined. And I've been enjoying the tales from Six Duchess Farm uh, throughout the seasons. And I just thought this would be fun to get to know you and introduce people to what you're doing. Because um, it's pretty special. You kind of have a unique, uh, you know, farm-based lifestyle with lots of facets of, of supporting yourself. And I think a lot of people are, they want that, but they don't know how to get it. So, um, so tell us a little bit, just as an introduction about what is Six Duchess Farm and kind of all the facets, uh, of what you're doing there. And, uh, I know it's winter, so you're probably not growing flowers right now. We're not, we're all bundled up for the winter. We had uh, two rounds of snow this week already. So uh, we finally got a proper winter. It was a little slow to start this year. Um, but we, uh, so yeah, I'd love to tell you a little bit about, um, about our farm and want to just thank you for having us here today. Uh, you do so much for the slow flower movement and for small farms like ours. So we're just so thrilled to be able to, to speak directly with you and share uh, what we do here. Awesome. So our farm is Six Duchess Farm and we're a small 12 acre diversified family farm. Um, we're in New York, Hudson Valley in Southern Dutchess County. It's about 70 miles uh, north of New York City and um, kind of a world away. And we basically have three areas we focus on here, flowers, fiber, and food. Uh, for flowers, it's uh, primarily cut flowers grown in the field. So our season is usually April, early April through mid-October. Sure. And then we uh, also focus on fiber and not food fiber, but animal fiber, particularly wool from our flock of sheep. We have a Swedish breed of Gotland sheep. So as we coast into winter, coast out of the flowers in, uh, in fall and then into winter, it's all about fiber through March. And, uh, and then also as a backdrop to that, we have uh, a focus on food, mainly food that supports flowers. So everything from raw honey from our uh, honeybee apiary that obviously is in paradise here with all the flowers and um, eggs from our heritage hens and then a whole bunch of berries, which we also use for uh, flowers. So all the brambles and other things. So that's what we do. And behind all of that is education as well. We love to uh, think of our farm as a community resource. So whatever we grow or whatever we produce here, we try to find an educational component so we can share how we do it with everybody out in our community and virtually throughout the world, in fact. Uh -huh. So it, it's been a, a great avenue for us. Well, especially in the last two years, I'm sure that it's been, you've been a, a lifeline to people throughout the world who've discovered you. Yeah, it's been a wonderful time for us because we always had plans to build a farm school here. Um, and we learned from farms that always had education as a central component of what they do. Um, so we always thought, how do we physically build the school? But with COVID um, and our 
actual farmhouse being central to that learning, that wasn't really an option. So it really kicked us into, well, kicked us and everyone into virtual learning, but we just jumped full in. So you always have to look at everything that you think is a negative, try to find the positive in it. So for us, with all this kind of COVID madness, it was really discovering um, the immense possibilities of, of virtual education. Yeah, wow. so it's been fantastic for us and hopefully for the community we've built around the classes. So we, we really enjoyed that. Well, you, so you have a, a sort of buckets of classes that you're doing in terms of education based on the, the three kind of exactly crop categories or product categories from the farm. Uh, so what's right now we're in January. So like, what is the winter focus? And uh, then we'll kind of walk through the year about, about um, connecting sure. with people. Uh, so we have um, virtual cooking classes that are live hands-on that go all year round. For now, we've been doing one a month since the pandemic. Um, and, and we do that all year round. So like it, this Sunday, we have... Um, a uh, class that's focusing on winter greens, which does grow in this uh, at this time of year in the Northeast. And we partner with different cooks and bakers and teachers all throughout the country on our classes. So we have a fabulous Italian uh, chef named Viola Butomi, and she's going to be doing that class with us. And then after that, we'll continue once a month with that. But also in February, we start our fiber classes, which I always get super excited about um, because what can be better in January when we have no flowers growing than sitting by a fire knitting and learning all about um, beautiful yarns. So we do a lot of hands-on fiber classes. We work with different um, knitwear designers and crafters. Uh, in the New York area and beyond. Uh, so we do the same. We offer live hands-on classes. We uh, partner with other fiber farmers to um, talk about their challenges with their flocks. And also always um, we try to find collaborations and connections with flowers. So if we're focusing on sheep, we'll say, okay, well, how can we teach this also in relation to flowers? So, um, or in terms of rejuvenating the land, like how do the two parts come together? Because right. for us on a diversified farm, it's all about the connections with community between the different parts of things we do here. Like how do flowers help fiber? How does food help flowers? You know, what are all those natural connections in an ecosystem? So right. I love it. Stuff like that. Well, okay, let's stop for a minute and talk about fiber because you have a gorgeous scarf around your neck. You have some lovely yarn in your environment there and a framed portrait, I believe, of one of your uh, wonderful fiber producing animals, right? <laughs> right next to you. I have to say in full confession mode, um, this is one thing we aspire to do, but this is actually going to be a class a little further down the road for us in uh, winter and spring. But this is actually from an amazing fiber farm in the Faroe Islands. Um, oh, wow. Period. Um, in Faroe Islands, who is very well known on Instagram for her photographs of her flock and flower crowns for her flock. <laughs> thing. She makes the most beautiful floral head arrangements for her uh, farm animals, uh, whether they're shepherd dogs or sheep. So this is one of her beautiful portraits. So we're going to be doing um, uh, um, a workshop with her later in the year, which we're super excited about. So I'm giving little props to her gorgeous um, gorgeous Barrel Island of sheep. Okay. So people are going to want to know who that is so they can follow her. So if you have that, I'll share it in our show notes. 
Oh, wonderful. I do. Okay. Thank you. So your uh, sheep are um, a particular breed and I was just, I want to say it correctly, or maybe you can remind us about them. Uh, it's Scotland sheep. Uh, so it is a Swedish breed of sheep, uh, beautifully, uh, beautiful, gray, uh, gray toned, um, kind of silky woolen sheep that are very friendly and uh, great for like family flocks. They're, uh, they're, they're really very personable. Uh, and they, we, they're usually a dual purpose breed for meat and fiber, but our sheep are lifers. They're here for life. They live with us until their last years. And, uh, and, and there are, our treasured farm partners. So we share them twice a year and they make beautiful, beautiful yarn. Um, in fact, this is a, this is a, in Sweden, their, their fiber is mostly used to drape furniture as pet, what we call pelts. So this is a, I'm sorry, with the light, you can't see it so well, but this is a Gotland pelt. And then when this fleece is shorn from the skin, it is used for, to make yarn as we do here. Wow. And it, the color, you haven't dyed it or anything. It's just the natural yeah, color. Natural. We don't dye all yet. Um, so we love those gray tones, those natural gray tones. And Gotland is one of the only naturally uh, gray, uh, um, gray tone sheep. They have, I don't know how many hues in the gray scale, but it's enormous. And it's so pretty in its natural state. So we have um, we have a small flock, but we try to produce different shades from light to medium to a gorgeous charcoal dark. And um, we just we like that. But eventually, we will build our dye garden, and we'll probably experiment with natural dyeing. Um, sure. But for now, we're coasting with the uh, natural colors. Well, I thought it was really interesting uh, when you sent me some background information that you said the mill that makes the yarn is local to you. Is that a unique to have a, a U.S.-based mill? We're so lucky. We're so fortunate. And anyone out there that does have sheep or work with fiber, we so encourage you to find as local a mill as you can. So we've worked since the beginning with Bat and Kill Fibers, uh, which is about two hour drive from here in New York. Um, Mary Jean Packer, who heads up Bat and Kill, just is a tremendous force in the fiber world and working on kind of slow fashion and slow fibers. So maybe you're equivalent in the fiber. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. I've heard about people doing that. That's like, it's again, your, your raw material is as close to the end consumer as possible. It's, it's so true. It keeps our carbon footprint down and it also makes things very hands-on for us. If I had to, I'd ship our wool elsewhere or, you know, to another part of the country. But if I had the option of working with a local mill that I can drive to, I would much uh, prefer to do that and also just partner as local as we can. So like for us, our shear um, works in the Northeast and travels to different farms. So we'd have him come twice a year. Our sheep are shorn twice a year. He shear on the farm. Then we take those fleeces, we save them up um, and we, would bring them to Mary Jean at Battenkill. And then she kind of works her magic. She'll often give us ideas for different things to do. And in fact, um, just yesterday, we received a huge box in the mail and it's our latest yarn from Battenkill. I don't know if you want to see it. But <laughs> Did you say you would you would do a, a like an opening video for us, a little reveal? <laughs> I will. You're the first to see it. So everybody out there, it's brand new. And it's actually something that... Um, Fat and Kill had recommended we try. Look at this baby. So this um, this comes from one sheep. This is a product of one year of shearing. So that would be two fleeces. 
And this is how we get our yarn back from the mill. You might not have ever seen this. I haven't. (laughs) Isn't that something? (laughs) Oh my goodness, it's gorgeous. And in here are 10 hanks of yarn. So that might be a little hard for you to see, but let me try to explain. So this is, um, this would be 10 skeins. So what I would do this weekend, which I am going to do this weekend, is I would separate this and I would give it a final wash because there's still some spinning oils. And then I would hang these up in our entire farmhouse to dry. (laughs) And then... This may be something you're a little more familiar yes, with. Yes, that's what I'm picturing as a skein, yeah. Exactly. So this is what you would buy from a, a, a farm shop or from a yarn shop, and that's what you're more familiar with. But this, well, so this becomes this, becomes this, becomes this when you um, twist it into a ball that becomes this. Oh, my goodness. Or wow. this. Right. Or <laughs> so that's kind of the fiber trail. And the beauty is that all through that, your sheep live happily on the farm. They graze. They live a long and beautiful life. And they would have to be shorn anyway for sheep health. So it's kind of like my ideal farm partnership where everybody wins um, in this kind of relationship. It's like that um, nat- the naturally renewing, um, you know, kind of raw material or medium that you can use, you know, and keep the sheep healthy, but keep producing. Like, I don't know. It's like the permaculture version of, of, of yarn or something. I, I'm not saying it well. No, you are. And that's exactly right. And the thing for us is like, so we look at raising healthy sheep and healthy fiber, the same way we look at um, growing healthy flowers. And there's so many similarities. So because our flock is a fiber flock, and they're lifers, so we, we keep them here for their life. Um, we have to make sure that they're really healthy. And uh, healthy sheep will mean healthy soil. Yep. It means healthy forage on the soil. If your sheep are on pasture, which is the way nature intended, which is how we do rotationally grazing, we want to make sure that the forage they eat is as healthy as can be, soil is healthy. Um, if there's anything wrong with their health, you'll see it in the fleece you'll see that it's not growing properly, that it's not growing at all, that it's spotty. So just the same as we look at our flowers and see, okay, how is this growing? Are there spots on these flowers? Wilting, there's something that's not right. Right. You know, it's the kind of same signs we would look for in in the animals that we have on pasture. So how much acreage do you have that you're allowed, it sounds like you're allowed to rotate the grazing area as well as maybe where you're growing your flowers. Yeah. We do. We, we probably rotate the sheep a lot more than we rotate our flowers uh, and other crops. Um, but so for healthy sheep on pasture, uh, you, you would have to rotate them. Um, we and, and different farms have different practices for our we don't rotate them all around the farm because, frankly, we all know what would happen. They would eat all of our flowers. <laughs> they would take over. That yeah. Would probably yeah. not be a good idea. So and then they wouldn't that. be they wouldn't be well appreciated farming partners if they're eating all your dahlias. <laughs> oh, they'd be like goats. They'd be like uh, you know they would uh, yeah they would uh, oh boy and they would let me tell you they would they mean well but um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe the tubers when we're done with them we could give them to the sheep. But, oh, that's um, funny. We have paddocks. We, so before we 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 tr- kind of transformed into it more diversified farm. We were actually a horse farm and that's how we started. It's a small horse farm. So we had paddocks 
that were already in place for the horses, but they were quite run down after about 10 years of having uh, horses on pastures. So we took a few years off when we changed our farm and then slowly we started bringing in sheep, uh, our flock, which started quite small. So we rotate them through the pasture, through the paddocks. Um, we we have um, uh, electrified mobile fencing. I move it uh, myself about every three or four days. Uh, in the height of the summer, when it's wet and hot, I move them more often. And then um, as it gets cooler, a little less often, but they're always rotated at least every week and in the height of the summer, um, twice in a week. So they may repeat that cycle every three months, but it's really important for sheep health that they don't spend too long on any one um, kind of one plot of lamb. Mm -hmm. so yeah. They're very probably like parasitic activity. <laughs> how, <laughs> many, how many sheep do you have? Well, we have a tiny flock right now. We have half a dozen sheep. Okay. Um, so, so we have a limited amount of yarn, but hopefully we're going to grow our flock. Um, we really believe in starting small yeah. and working your way up as you become more familiar with the needs, whether it's, you know, frankly, flowers, food or uh, uh, livestock, you know, take it. And we're only two people here. So we take it slow and then work our way up. Well, let's talk about the we and how you got to Six Duchess Farm. I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and your partner Hans's background. The two of you um, just seem really remarkable, and I'm just enchanted with your story. Uh, it sounds like you're living the dream, but I know it's through a lot of sweat equity <laughs> and sacrifice. So uh, just if you wouldn't mind telling us your path to to where you are now. Would, I would love to. Let me stick this yarn over here. So. Um, yeah. Otherwise you're going to start getting really warm. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'd love to. Well, you know, farming for us, um, uh, we're actually, Hans and I are both um, city folks. So we grew up in cities, uh, myself in New York city, Hans in Hong Kong. And uh, basically, you know, like life is, is how life is this wonderful kind of a gift that gives us um, kind of different chapters so I think we both built up a lot of skills that we never maybe thought would result in a farming life, but kind of everything just pushed us in that direction. And then all of these different snippets of our experiences came together here. Um, but we started the transition out to our farm, I would say after 9-11. And this farm kind of, kind of like the COVID days, 9-11 for a lot of New Yorkers was a time when people spread out and, um, and, and found second bases from the city. So uh, this is before I met Hans, but um, he found his way to this farm. And then we met maybe about six or seven years later, and I found myself here. Um, my background was in something quite different. I worked in, um, I used to work for the United Nations. I did a lot of kind of post-war peace building, a lot of food policy. Um, so I had my toes dipped in in kind of food and farming indirectly. Right. Um, Hans also had uh, a fam. Uh, his family used to work in medicinal herbal medicine, and his mom, <laughs> many generations ago, was uh, one of the first female um, farm heads in her region, which was quite unusual for a woman. Um, so we we had some history of that, but we just again we grew up in cities. Um, we found ourselves here and uh, mostly it started as a weekend endeavor that turned into the whole week that eventually turned into to full time because it is just so, so much to learn. 
And for me, it was like my, my father was in the restaurant business here in, the, in New York City. He had a restaurant for 50 years. So food was always a really important part of our uh, upbringing. And my mom, who uh, immigrated from Denmark in her early 20s, she was an incredible um, um, fiber, a credible knitter and um, embroiderer and porcelain painter. And like so many folks in Denmark, they just had, uh, of that generation, they had enormous fiber skills. Um, it was almost like by birth, you were just right. an experienced knitter. And she also had a flower shop for 10 years here in the States. So you can see here in our farm between fiber, food, flowers, it's like all these parts of our lives all of a sudden came it was- together. It was predestined. I love it. That's so, it it is so interesting when you're a young person, you're trying to get away from, you know, your parents' um, interests. And then somehow it's, it is kind of baked into your DNA, whether you know it or not, and you, you return to it. So true. So, so many things are familiar and even knitting, like as a growing up in the city, we, we were never taught these skills and somehow it skipped our generation uh, but then, you know, in midlife, when we came here to the farm and we decided to get sheep, I said, I don't care how old I am. I'm going to learn how to knit. I really, I need to know this. I'm going to channel my grandmother. <laughs> she's going to pop it through the heavens and uh, go through my fingers and teach me. And I learned and I love it. Well, I, I, so I, I loved your post over the holidays. I'm going to share it on the screen of, uh, well, first we'll see Hans modeling what apparently was an epic knitting project of yours, Jennifer. <laughs> it was. It was. It's here. It's living and breathing. This is the uh, shawl. Yes, three years in the works, in part because we have very little free time to knit. <laughs> this is you modeling it. And uh, you said, you just sort of told the whole story about this yes. six foot by two foot uh, garment <laughs> that... You uh, you knit so beautifully, but you know what I love about this is you really see the nuances of that uh, that sheep um, the palette of the fiber and how it's not just a solid color. Yes, yes, thank you. That is um, that that's the beauty of the that's the beauty of Gotland wool. The yarn is something very special. It's almost like um, it's really a specialty yarn. It's uh, not so common here in the states. And anyone who has the pleasure of working with it is just mesmerized by the character um, and what we call the bloom. It just it has a very special um, uh, feel and look and texture. So we, we it's just a joy to work with it. And of course, for us, we always think of the sheep it came from because every um, skein of yarn is traceable to the sheep. So and each one has a very unique personality. So we know exactly what kind of energy is coming. Oh, that's each. so that's so incredible. I, I really love that. And so you caught my eye. Well, as I said, I'd subscribe to your newsletter and I love getting your missives. You you're a beautiful writer and you weave uh, a tale of, you know, probably as you said, for people all over the world to feel like they're visiting your farm and experiencing all the all your seasonal activities. Um, But your holiday newsletter end of year, I think really caught my eye because my uh, collaborator in Bloom Imprint and I, Robin Avni and I were working on our, basically our trend forecast for 2022. We call it a, we call it a industry forecast. And 
uh, Robin had coined the, uh, had wanted to use a phrase now or never and about just sort of the great resignation, the great quit, all those sort of terms we're hearing in the economy. And I sent her your newsletter and I said, look at this language that Jennifer wrote about giving up her New York apartment and moving to the farm. Like uh, this thing was long and coming, but 2021, you know, I got, you know, checked all the boxes for you. So I, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about how you're, you know, how you endured that and, and what actually made it, you know, the decision for you and Hans to give up your apartment in the city and become, you know, basically the rural uh, integrated farmers that you are. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it, you know, it was just time. It was time to do it. I mean, I think um, it was a, it was a really gradual move for us. We always had that door still open to the city. We do a lot of business in the city too, even from our farm through CSA. So we always kind of kept that part going um, until, you know, at one point we had built so much up here and we also had built a really special community. And I just, this was the year that we knew it was time to close that door. Mm -hmm. uh, not that we still continue to do business in the city and visit, we're so close, but in terms of a residence there, it was just, you just know, you know, yeah. whatever it is in life, sometimes you just know this is the time we feel this is the new door open and this door, you know, it, our relationship with the city is going to change. But um, in terms of having that that, that residence, um, it's just that that time was so beautiful, but you know, it's a new time now. And yeah, I know there has been a pretty big migration. Um, and I think a lot of people who made that also know, you know, that feeling when you just say, you know, we feel this is it, it's settled. We, we're, we're, we need all our attention now into building what we want to build here. And I think for us, it was just a question of that sense of space, but also time, you know, having the other presence is it, it, it still retains a piece of you and um, building a farm, building a community. It's such a big physical and mental effort. You have to be all in. Um, so I wanted all of me here. Hans wanted all of him here. And we, we really need that to do what we want to do and what we have planned ahead. So we just thought this is it this year. COVID, yeah, it pushed us a little bit. Um, but I think we probably would have come to that conclusion anyway. Right. Uh, this, this is just, this is the year. Well, what you're referring to also is so sustainable in that you, you know, built these channels of income gradually based on your interests and your passion for education. And as you said, you want the farm to all kind of dovetail, every activity to dovetail with the next one. And so you've observed this farm now for a decade and so in this land. So, you know, um, you've learned from it, I guess you've learned from the seasons and from, from the crops and from the animals. And it feels right to, to just listen to you talk about how you move through the year on the seasons food being, it sounds like more of a, a year round activity with your food education and your cooking classes. But then, you know, the flowers seem to layer in and not, you know, not disrupt anything. They just kind of happen when you have a growing season available to you. It's very true. Flowers were the last addition we've made here. And uh, I always felt it was something that was really missing. Uh, mm -hmm. And I can't quite figure it out. But flowers are such a joyful, such a joyful gift. Um, whether you grow them or you gift them or you sell them, it's just something that is so universally um, inspiring. And uh, so I always felt like we need to really 
we need to bring, this is the last part that we need to, uh, to bring on the farm. And, and actually we, our journey was via that fabulous floret um, flower workshop. Um, and we, we went through that along with so many small uh, flower farmers and yeah. learned how to do it because in my head, it was always, how can we make this work? Do we have enough space? Will the sheep eat the flowers? Like how can, <laughs> how can so, we do it? Right. So, so what, uh, what is like, describe maybe what your mix is, what are you growing and kind of what are you specializing in based on the availability of your time and your land? Yeah. Uh, so we really try to minimize what we grow, uh, just because again, it's just time and also looking at what our landscape, uh, what will thrive here on our farm in our kind of microclimate. So it started actually with one of the most difficult things with the dahlias. So that was the first thing. I don't know what I was thinking, but I said, wow, these are so beautiful. We have to do dahlias. So that was the kind of first floral endeavor. It was such a wonderful, positive experience. Um, and we've continued that, but just expanding it every year. Um, and then we started introducing spring flowers and some of my personal favorites, anemones, ranunculus. Um, and then we would do, uh, so yeah, we, our season starts with the anemones and ranunculus, um, dahlias. We do some sunflowers. We do, uh, this year we're doing sweet peas, um, snapdragons. So we do, um, kind of an assortment that takes us all through the seasons um, we also, I know I'm forgetting something. <laughs> it's okay. And we'll, we'll, we'll hold you to a, a full list later. But I, when you sent me the background about Six Duchess Farm, you said you sell your flowers through a seasonal CSA in local shops and markets and through direct order farm pickups. So it's really direct to consumer in all those areas. You're not trying to wholesale. Yeah, we don't really do wholesale. Um, we're, uh, on a small scale like ours, it's probably not the best um, choice for us. Um, we found other markets that uh, enable us to connect more directly with the community. Um, so like we partner with some of our favorite local shops like Pauling Bread Company and Pauling. They're so fantastic to us. And we flood their shop with flowers uh, all year round. Oh, not all year round, but spring. Yeah, in the season. Uh-huh. Dahlia season. Yeah. So and then, we yeah, we do CSA in the city. And also this year we built a, a farm, uh, a flower shed for pickups so that we can have farm pickups. Uh, and then I think educationally, what we're really hoping to do in this upcoming year is partner with uh, local florists and do workshops and some other wonderful educational programs. Um, we'd love to do it on site uh, when we expand beyond virtual and um, yeah, just uh, kind of pursue those kind of partnerships as well to, uh, to engage our community. Right. I mean, I think on site has so much appeal because you said you're 70 uh, miles or 70 minutes, whatever, uh, outside of New York City. Is the area uh, that you're in, LaGrangeville, is it like, uh, is there lodging? Could people turn this into a weekend, ex uh, you know, excursion and take a class and then, you know, visit other parts of the of the Six Duchess oh, County? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I uh, There are lodgings here, um, not a lot in LaGrangeville. It's honestly something I have to look into a little more. Um, but because we're so close to other towns as well, like Pauling and Millbrook, there are so many offerings in our kind of broader area. Okay. Those are all the things we're hoping to build. Um, we're building an on-site school here with some of our buildings, but I am pretty sure we'll be partnering with um, other local partners for lodging. and Sure. Uh, other places. So I think that's the key often for small farms. It's those wonderful connections and collaborations you make within your community. Oh, absolutely. I think that's so smart because you're doing what you're good at 
And you do not want to run a bed and breakfast anyway, probably. So, you know, let space we probably would, but um, <laughs> small farm and acreage, it as you know, it's just all a question of seeing what can what else can we take on and what can, if we take it on, can we do it well? Like can we be all in with this? So that's why sometimes we're a little selective with what we can add on, what we can do and what we think has a good fit here without like um completely burning out. <laughs> I get it. And it's winter and it's supposed to be the time of refresh, refreshing and, and uh, here you're going to be spinning wool all weekend. So, uh, but I guess oh, that's kind of meditative as well, isn't it? That, that uh, truthfully fiber and, 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 and that kind of um, knitting and crafting can be incredibly meditative and restorative. Um, mm. Why I think it's a great, it's, it's not only great winter activity, it's great all year round, but it, it so happens for us that winter is the time when we, can sit down a little bit and do that once sure. the flower season starts it's it's you know we're pretty much outside from um from before sunrise to to after it's <laughs> <laughs> you know it's um it's pretty time consuming wow well jennifer what's on tap other than planning for the classes you said that you're getting ready to launch a website is that something that we can uh, talk a little bit about before we wrap up i'll be so happy when it's done um it's <laughs> those tasks it, it 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 takes so much more time than I ever thought and it takes a lot of quiet time you know a lot of telling your story and uh and writing time so I I had ho- we'd hoped to have it done last winter um but we didn't quite make it and then when the season started it was not at all possible to find that kind of a uh, quiet time so it's bumped back to this winter and it will be done I have no doubt um we have fabulous web designer we've been working with and it's going to hopefully be done in February and launch before um, before the next floral season. And that will just have a lot of resources that will you'll be able to find out about classes and flowers and food and fiber. And um, it'll have a, a wonderful online shop, but hopefully also a lot of just educational learning and resources. And so we're hoping it'll be an extension of our community here. People can just spend a lot of time on the site and learn a lot of new things and, and find a happy place to spend some time online. That's, that's wonderful. And when we run this as the podcast, um, people will be able to find all my show notes uh, with photos and links to Six Duchess Farm um, at slowflowerspodcast.com. So I'll be sure to put in the link to subscribe to your newsletter because I learned I learned so much about you. Just I always open it. And, um, you know, even though you haven't had time to write your website, you have had time to write this newsletter. So thank goodness. Sunday. <laughs> and does, does Hans do all the photography for your uh, newsletter? Um, he does a lot of the photography. Um, Hans is an architect. I should have mentioned that. I'm sorry. He's an architect by training and also a photographer. So we are very blessed to have not only the most amazing animal structures anywhere (laughs) but um some pretty amazing visuals and photography so he's out every day kind of capturing the beauty of the Hudson Valley and farm life here um and it's really a joy to see that um through his eyes yes um what a great I'm sorry no I just say what a great partnership of of skill sets that are complementary you know, all farms are like that, small farms. You know, if you're a couple that runs a farm, you you pool your greatest gifts and hopefully combine, you create a really uh, a wonderful whole. And uh, I, I, that's the way I look at it here. We both bring what we can and somehow it really works well together. 
I love it. I love it. Well, uh, this has been so much fun. And I just think you've set up this cozy little corner with, we see a little bit of your spinning wheel to your right. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Let's, let's not so often use spinning wheel. (laughs) Do you have, you have another, you have other machines that you use? What's that? Do you have other machines that you use? Is this more decorative? Oh, no, this is well used. Um, but again, it's usually it's it's used a little more in the wintertime when we're when we're a little farmhouse bound. But um, yeah, this is a few. I love the spinning wheel and we have some others. Uh, we have a lot of other um, uh, hand spinning equipment. Mm, okay. uh, and hopefully as we move a little forward uh, with on site learning, we have some pretty exciting plans to build a, a fiber studio here and have a lot of hands on fiber work as well as floral design work. So. Uh, all, all in due time. That's kind of our next uh, um, big venture uh, to to build this kind of capacity for on-site learning. So, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to follow along, and I would love to come visit. And I know I'll see you at the Slow Flowers Summit. So, yeah. So hopefully, um, who knows? If I have a little extra time, I'll invite myself for a visit. But uh, we can at least now enjoy your Instagram feed and your beautiful photos of Six Duchess Farm and. Uh, This has been lovely, Jennifer. Thank you so much for telling your story with us, with the community and inspiring people to think about ways they can uh, branch out a little bit beyond flowers and uh, consider complementary agriculture, which is what you're doing. Yes, thank you so much, Deborah. We're so grateful to be here today and just to be a part of your wonderful community. It's, It's really been a lifeline for us too, as small farmers, to have that connection with others. And so we thank you so much for having us here and for doing what you do. Oh, you bet. This has been a treat. We'll talk soon. And thanks a lot. And uh, have fun spinning this weekend. (laughs) Thank you so much. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. As Jennifer mentioned, she's launching a website soon. And in the meantime, if you want to receive the Six Duchess Farm newsletter with information about classes in flowers, fiber, and food, I've shared the sign-up link in our show notes. And now let's talk about the ticket giveaway. The theme of the 2022 Northwest Flower and Garden Festival is Greetings from Spring. And if you're in the Pacific Northwest or plan to be during the week of February 9th through 13th, you might be eligible to win two tickets to the show, courtesy of Slow Flowers Society. Post a comment in our show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com for today's episode 543. And be sure to mention what spring blooms are your favorite to grow or to design with. We will randomly draw five names from those who comment. We'll do the drawing next Sunday the 6th of February at midnight Pacific time. And we'll announce the winners on the 7th of February. Okay, good luck. Our next sponsor thank you goes to Cal Flowers, the leading floral trade association in California, providing valuable transportation and other benefits to flower growers and to the entire floral supply chain in California and 48 other states. The association is a leader in bringing fresh-cut flowers to the U.S. market 
and in promoting the benefits of flowers to new generations of American consumers. Learn more at cafgs.org. Hey, welcome to the start of February. We're getting closer to gardening and flower farming season for most of us, and I, for one, am ready for it. I have a couple of announcements to share with you today. First of all, look for two messages from me in your inbox. The first is our 2022 Spring Cleaning Checklist, Tips for Updating Your SlowFlowers.com Member Profile. We recently updated the SlowFlowers.com platform. I'm calling it SlowFlowers 3.0, and while the site may not look much different to you from the outside, we've worked with our software folks to make some important back-end changes to improve member services and functionality on the inside. With the upgrade, we believe the Slowflowers community will experience higher engagement and interaction with floral consumers. You want to watch our new short training video, which shares steps for updating your member profile and for making the most of your investment as a Slow Flowers member. You can watch the replay video in today's show notes, and you'll find a link to the spring cleaning checklist as well. Next up, we're getting ready for a flower-filled February, and I want to remind everyone who loves attending the monthly Slow Flowers member virtual meetup that we're moving that event to take place after Valentine's Day this month. So I'll see you Friday, February 18th online in the Zoom room. The time is still 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Our focus will be on winter flower crops and designing from the garden in winter. This session is inspired by the fantastic conference I attended in August of 2018 called the Southern Flower Symposium that Jim Martin of Compost in My Shoe and fellow member of the Low Country Flower Growers Group produced in Charleston. Rita Anders of Cuts of Color was a keynote presenter speaking on the topic optimizing cut flower production in our southern climate. And it was an incredible conference that enhanced people's understanding of how they could extend the seasons and grow during the winter months. So we're going to recreate that for our Zoom session, our monthly meetup in February. After Rita gives us a peek into her winter growing practices in Weimar, Texas, Jim will share a floral design demo and talk about winter growing in Charleston, South Carolina. Jim's an inventive and talented designer. His designs from South Carolina in winter have been blowing my mind. And especially so much of what he designs with is cut from his own garden. So that's really cool. You'll love this session and you can find the pre-registration link in today's show notes for episode 543 at slowflowerspodcast.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. I know that was a lot of news to share and I'm glad you hung in there with me. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor downloaded more than 811,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much as our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry. The momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowerssociety.com. And consider making a donation to sustain Slow Flowers ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at DebraPrinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Show and the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more Slow Flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone. 
independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. You can learn more about Andrew's work at soundbodymovement.com. <music>